0: Well, good morning. morning. Today, we're starting a new series, Politics, Religion, and Church Unity. And I want you to know up front, we've designed this series to challenge you about how to respond to what is going on in our country today. And we're going to be looking at something that Jesus says that intersects directly with our culture. You know, last March, as the whole pandemic and the shutdown began to take place, and of course the political thing has been going on for some time now, God seemed to kind of put this on my heart. And I just kind of kept putting it off. And then something happened that was kind of a catalyst about four or five weeks ago. A member in our church made a Facebook post and that person has given me permission to share that this morning. And I just want to share that catalyst with you this morning. This is the post, part of it anyway. The past several weeks have been difficult to say the least. And as upbeat as I have tried to be, I have failed at protecting my heart from some of the most hurtful words and comments on Facebook that I have seen in a long time. The worst part is I'm also guilty of contributing to those harsh comments. So this morning I have decided to confess and start moving forward, stopping it with me. In my confessing, you must also know that I am struggling I am fighting a real battle of discouragement here. For the past couple of weeks, my spouse and I have not attended church, nor have we watched online, not out of fear of COVID, but listen to this, but a loss of heart to stand next to those whose words have hit the hardest and scarred the most. Then once again, so am I guilty. You see, it does matter. Maybe I'm not the one that matters to you so much, but rest assured there is someone that does. And you may never know how deep the hurt will run or how much it will take to heal. Once again, I've made a commitment to let it stop here. You see, you must understand for those who may say, I haven't posted anything, and I have refrained from doing so. But have you liked, or have you shared? If you have, it hasn't gone unnoticed. This hurt is new to me. Not so much the hurt. I think it's probably all rolled into one scenario. We have mostly been separated, except by social media. And yet social media seems to be where we are at our worst. I am praying. Kudos to this church member for admitting that they are part of the problem and trying to change it. The quote about not being sure if they can come back to church because they don't know that they can worship with those that have been so critical bothers me immensely and I hope it does you too. And I don't know what side of the fence this person is on. I mean, I don't know if they're pro-Trump or pro-Biden. I don't know if they're pro-mask or anti-mask, for social distancing, against social distancing, supporters of protest or not, if they think the whole pandemic is a hoax or the biggest health challenge of our generation. That's not the point, it's the division. The division in the church created by our current political context and the pandemic climate. And as I said earlier, it intersects directly with something that Jesus talked about. And what's happening right now, and I'm sure you understand this, all this uncertainty creates a sense of fear and fear is playing into this. The pandemic creates fear. The fear of who might get elected, that is there. You remember the last election, 2016, Clinton versus Trump? I wanna read something to you from a person that is a Democrat. This was the first Sunday after the election in 2016. Listen to what she has to say. By the way, this is going to get a little bit uncomfortable this morning, okay? It's going to be a little bit awkward. So let's get uncomfortable and let's get awkward together. So here's what she says. I came to church this morning looking for reassurance. I'm scared. And no one even mentioned the election. I feel abandoned by my church. Now, if you're a Republican in here this morning, you're thinking, what is she scared of? I mean, Trump won. If that lady would have won, then she would have had something to be scared of, right? That's what you're thinking. I know that's what you're thinking. But here's the thing. She's thinking of something entirely different because nothing divides like politics and nothing divides like fear. You know, you can make a lot of money or raise a lot of money by peddling fear. Am I right? I mean, that's what's going on in all the political commercials right now. Well, if you vote for this person, they're going to take away your guns. And if you vote for this person, they're going to take away all the social programs. Send your $25, $50, $100 check to us, and we'll try to make sure that doesn't happen. If this president gets reelected, it's the end of the world. If this Democrat gets elected, it's the end of the world. And so you've got all of this fear out there. And what is it that we fear. We fear at the macro level in the United States, we fear loss. That's what's going on. We fear loss of control. We fear what might be taken away. We fear loss of opportunity. We fear the loss of the future for our church. We fear loss of culture. We fear loss of freedom. Some people fear loss of progress. White people fear what might happen. Brown and black people fear what has already happened. There's so much fear in all of us, the fear of the unknown. And so we're in this time in our country, and in this place in our nation, and in the life of of our culture where everybody's peddling fear. And if we're not careful, We'll be victims of that, even though we know better, even though we know that God is in control. And not only will we be victims, and this is the most important thing this morning, we will be divided. So, I want to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to say amen. I don't want you to nod your head. If you're watching online this morning, if you want to throw something at your television or whatever, that's your business but I don't want anybody in here to answer out loud. But here's the question. Are you willing to evaluate, well, it's up there anyway. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through your faith? Because I don't think that's what a lot of Christians do. They kinda turn it over and they do something different. Most Christians evaluate their faith through their politics. Our faith should come first and then we should evaluate everything else through it. But that's not what a lot of people are doing. They're putting their politics first and then evaluating their faith after it. I mean, everybody thinks that Jesus would be part of their party, don't they? Am I right? Everybody thinks that. And you can find scriptures to support both party platforms, right? I mean, you, you know that. You can. And so we'll we'll talk more about the Jesus part of it next week as far as that goes. But the real issue, are you willing to put your faith filter in front of your political filter and your personal preference filter? Are we willing to evaluate our politics and our political candidates and their that kind of stuff and our opinions in light of what Jesus specifically says? Let me put it a different way. Are you willing to set aside your political views and your opinions on whatever to connect people to Jesus Christ? Because ultimately, that's what we're all called to do. And that's why our mission statement is connecting people to Jesus and each other. Are you willing to follow Jesus Are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you and your political candidate, your party's platform? I'm just telling you, a lot of folks are not willing to do that. And in the months ahead, if we're not careful, it's going to divide us. It already has. I mean, I don't know why I'm saying in the months ahead. It's going to divide us because we just assume that God and Jesus are lockstep with whatever we believe. Any questions so far? Good. I can tell everybody's staying with me this morning. Here's the thing. Jesus talks about this. Jesus sees this coming. Not the pandemic, not the politics. But he sees the division coming. And we're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning. And there's a prayer mentioned in John chapter 17. And hopefully all the verses will be on the screen up behind me. And here's kind of the setup. And this, is, this prayer is mentioned in all four gospels. And, you know, you start in John chapter 13, so to speak. And, and in John chapter 13, you have the Lord's Supper. And then you get to John chapter 14, and God talks about mansions, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. You get into John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and and there's that whole exposition. Then John 16, and then he gets to chapter 17, and Jesus begins to pray, and he makes a prayer request. Ever think about Jesus having a prayer request? Now, if you grew up in church, which most of you have, you know what a prayer request is. You're at the end of your Sunday school class or maybe the beginning of it or your your home group or whatever small group that you're involved in. And you you get to the end, you say, anybody have a prayer request? Just raise your hand. Can you imagine sitting in a circle with Jesus and you say, does anybody have a prayer request? And Jesus raises his hand and you're like, you have a prayer request, Jesus? And he's like, yeah. And you're like, really? He goes, yeah, I do. He has a a prayer request. And John records it for us. I wonder what Jesus would pray about. I mean, I know what we pray about, right? Hey, my grandfather's not doing well. Would you pray for him? Uh, Mrs. Jane Doe, she's having surgery this week. Would you pray for her? Um... You know, we're, we're going back to school this week or next week or whatever it is, or I have a test, or I need a job. You know, those are some of the stuff that we pray for. What would Jesus pray for? And this is so cool. He's nearing the end of his life. Remember, the Lord's Supper just happened, and it's not going to be very long. In a few hours, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tried. He's going to be killed. So what's on his mind in his final hours? What would he ask for? Because things are going to start moving really quick. And what he asked of his heavenly father has everything to do with all of us who call ourselves Christ followers. So it's kind of remarkable what he prays. Look at verse one. He says this, Father, the hour has come Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So, first of all, notice that phrase the hour has come. So, in other words, after three years of hanging out with these guys, telling them and trying to teach them about himself and about God, the end is finally coming. It's almost here. And then he says glorify your son and this is what this phrase means he's saying god light me up light me up so that people will know that you and i are connected glorify me light me up and then father i have a request of you he's going to say and we're going to go on down to verse 11 he prays for that glorifying thing through the next nine verses. And then he gets to verse 11, and he's got a second request. The first one was glorify me. The second one, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and they're coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus says, I'm leaving. That word remain. He says, I'm leaving. I, I'm out of here, so to speak. I'm not going to be in the world anymore. But he says, the disciples, they're still in the world. They are going to stay here. I'm leaving, Jesus says, but the disciples are staying. And he's been telling them this all along. I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And Peter's the, the big one They keep saying, well, wherever you're going, we're going with you. And she's like, No, Peter, you can't go. And Peter's like, Yes, we are going to go. And she's like, No, okay, no, you're not going with me, Peter. We have a, a dog at our house. I thought it was interesting. Billy shared about his dog. I don't have a picture, though, but anyway. So we have a dog at our house, Tucker. Tucker's about eight months old. Uh, a lot of Jack Russell and then some other mixes kind of put in there. And when he was probably a couple months ago, I was leaving the house. And Tucker wanted to get in the car with me and finally got in the car without him getting in. And then he starts following me as I start driving out of our subdivision. And we live way in the back of our subdivision. So it's like over a mile to get out of our subdivision. And I keep looking in the mirror and he just keeps on coming. And he's just, you know, and I'm speeding up and I'm speeding up, I'm a half a mile from the house. He's just chugging along behind me. It's like, look, Tucker, I'm leaving and you can't go. And Tucker's like, no, I'm coming with you. It's the same kind of thing with Peter and Jesus. Peter's like, I'm coming. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. And here is Jesus' prayer request at the end. End of life, getting close. Protect them. Who's the them? The disciples. Protect their, d- the disciples. And I want you to notice something. He's not praying for physical protection. That's not what he's praying for. What is it he prays for? So that they may be one. At the very end, the thing that Jesus was most concerned about was their unity and their oneness. Because he understood that if the disciples could be in lockstep with each other, then the world could be changed. But if they ever got divided, if they ever got sideways with each other, if they ever splintered, then things would begin to stall out. So he prays for the disciples. But then you get down to verse 20, and he begins to pray for somebody else. Do you know who he begins to pray for? He begins to pray for you and I. And this is what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So it's not just these 12 guys that he's praying for. He said, I also wanna pray for everybody that's gonna believe in me. That's me, that's you. So he said, I'm not just praying for these folks who are alive and with me today. I'm praying for the next generation of Christians in the first century, and the generation of Christians after that, and the generation of Christians after that, and every generation until us. And what do you think he prays for us? He doesn't pray for the things that we pray for. And I'll be honest with you, it's kind of sad to me and it's very convicting to me because I think maybe if I would have been praying more for the thing that Jesus was praying for, maybe the world would be a little different place. I mean, obviously, this is close to his heart. He's in his final hours. And here's what he says in verse 21. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he's not praying for the 12. He's praying for all of us. He's praying for every single Christ follower that's ever going to believe in him. So in the first century, you know who he's praying for? The Jew and the Gentile, the military leaders, the soldiers, the officials, the political people, the rich and the poor, the slaves and the free people, the people that were gathering taxes and the people who taxes were being gathered from, the educated and the uneducated, everybody that believed in him, he's praying for them. And do you know what it means in the 21st century? It means all the Christ followers, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, the privileged or the not so privileged, the independent, the indecisive, the libertarians, the black and the brown and the white and the beige and the privileged and the married and the single, the mass wearers, the non-mass wearers, the social distancers, the people against social distancers, the conspiracy theorists, the black lives matter, white lives matter, blue lives matter. In other words, all of us, that's who he's praying that they will be unified. He says, Everybody that calls me Lord, that's who he's talking about. And this, this is amazing. Everybody that calls me Lord, doesn't matter where you're from, what your experiences have been, how good life has treated you, how poorly life has treated you, how educated, how connected, how disconnected, I pray for all of them. People with different experiences that somehow, people with different opinions, that somehow they would all be one. That sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, how's that gonna happen? But yet, Jesus was convinced, as impossible as this may sound, he said, may be one is a purpose clause here. It's an imperative, it's mission critical. It may seem impossible, But it was absolutely imperative. Listen, this this is not, you know, a wishful thinking. This is not a, wouldn't it be nice if everybody could get along? This is not, let's all go sing Kumbaya around the campfire. This is not the Coca-Cola jingle some of you remember. Let's teach the whole world to sing and love on each other. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about being intentional that there is unity in our church and the church because this is what Jesus prayed for. Now, unity doesn't come natural, does it? You know why? Because we all know what we know and we were all raised differently and we all have different experiences. We all have different preferences and opinions. And let's be honest, we all think we're right. And Jesus is saying, my church is gonna be so diverse and it's gonna speak so many languages and it's gonna be so international and there are gonna be so many races and so many cultures. If there was just a way we could remain one. And then he continues his prayer. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He prays for oneness and it doesn't have anything to do with us, the purpose of the oneness. The purpose of the oneness is so that the world can believe that God sent Jesus. It's not about us, it's what he wants to do through us. And there can be a lack of unity in a local church and that church will survive but it will really have trouble doing the will of God. This is what he says. So that the world, not the people in the church. So who's he talking about? He's talking about the people that don't know Jesus. He's talking about the people that don't have Jesus Christ as a personal savior. He's talking about the people that roll by the church or drive by the church and they roll their eyes. He's talking about the people who who who, who see the post and think to themselves, if that's what a Christian's like, if that that kind of spitefulness and that kind of hatefulness and that kind of arrogance, if that's what Christ followers are about, I don't want any part of it. That's what it's why it's so important. Why would I wanna to go to church? Why would I be a Christ follower if that's how people are gonna act? If I have a different opinion than them, that's how they're gonna treat me. He says, it's because I want the world, not you, but the world to be convinced that you have sent me. This is not an add-on, this is mission critical. This is the way that the world is going to sit up and take notice of this, of this wonderful thing that we call the church. That's how they're going to do it. That when we disagree, we agree to disagree. Even though we've been raised in different ways and we have different opinions and and we see the world different politically and we see the, the pandemic differently. But at the same time, almost magically, unusually, there's this unity. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, this is the way forward in the first century with the Roman Empire. And the same is true. This is the way forward in the 21st century in Catoosa County and in Ringgold, Georgia. And you can't sacrifice the unity. And he emphasizes it again in verse 23. Listen, here it is again. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There it is again. Then the world will know that you sent me. It's another purpose clause. God, is it's about unity. It's not about politics. It's not about cultures. It's not about opinions. It's not about language. It's not about bits and pieces of a worldview. It's not about what time you meet or what kind of music you sing. If they can just be united and unified around Jesus, that's how they're gonna change the world. Everybody here, I know you're smart and intelligent people, and I know you already know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. On a Tuesday in November, on a Tuesday in November, your political candidate will win or lose based on how the American public votes. We all know that. But the church wins or loses based on our behavior every single day between now and then. I hope everybody votes. I hope you get out and vote. And the United States, the, the future of the United States will be decided on that day, at least for the next four years, on that Tuesday. But the church is gonna win or lose based on how all of us, our behavior between now and then. This pandemic, it's going to eventually end, but the church will win or lose based on our behavior until whenever it ends. The church wins or loses, the community wins or loses. In some ways, the way our nation in some ways, the way our nation wins and loses is by the way we treat each other. And this is not an add-on. And think about this. In the short history of our nation, there are political parties that have come and gone because their lights got turned out. I mean, am I right? Do we have any Whigs in here? Any Whigs? Anybody belong to the Federalist Party? No, their parties, they're, they're long gone. The lights went out for their, for their platform. So here's the question. Why is followers of Jesus Christ... Would we allow ourselves to be divided by temporary political systems and platforms and candidates? And the truth is, there are those of you in here that are old enough to understand this, your views on politics has probably adjusted a little bit over the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, you probably have that core that's the same, but it's probably adjusted a little bit So why do we want to divide the church over things that are going to change? Why would we allow a pandemic to divide us? Why would we allow so much hurt and cause the world to look at us and say, well, if that's how they treat each other, I don't want any part of it. Look, believe what you want to believe. Vote for who you want to vote for. Have your opinions and your opinions are right. They're your opinions, you're right. But don't let it divide the church. So here's the homework I have for you. Would you pray this prayer this week? And it's really pretty simple Heavenly Father, unify us so we can change the world. Would you be willing to pray that? I'm not telling you not to have your opinions, I'm just saying, would you pray that prayer? Heavenly Father, unify us so we can change the world. Now, I know some of you are thinking this morning, Dennis, aren't you being a little naive? I know some of you are thinking that. I mean, you're the preacher, you're supposed to tell us what Jesus says. You kind of wrapped it up in this little political thing, and I appreciate you, you know, taking on a difficult subject, but. You know what you're talking about. Isn't that kind of being naive? Let me tell you something that's naive. A first-century rabbi from nowhere as far from the epicenter of what was going on on the world at that time, standing out in a hot desert with 12 guys who had no political clout whatsoever, who were younger than him, he says to them, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now that's being naive. And then those disciples are like, what? What? Are you talking about us? You're gonna do something through us? He's like, yeah, I'm gonna start a movement and I'm gonna do it through you guys. And neither Rome nor the temple nor any culture nor any nation will ever stop it. That's naive. But he did and they didn't stop it and we are a part of it. And it's because of the unique sacrificialness of so many people to be one. And that's generation after generation after generation of Christians. And that oneness needs to fuel our generation too. Disagree politically, but love unconditionally and pray for oneness. Disagree politically, Love unconditionally, but pray for oneness. And don't miss next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and Father, we're grateful for your word. And Father, I'm I'm grateful for how your word just reminds us that we need to be unified. Father, we're just splintered all over the place about things that don't matter. Everybody has their opinions and they're entitled to those, but Father, let let us keep those out of the church. Let us strive to be one so that the world can look at us and say, how do they do that when they disagree about stuff? Let them be amazed at what we can agree on and Father, how we can agree to disagree. Speak to our hearts this morning.